Welcome back to the Joe Cozo Show. We have our featured guest today, Timothy Powers. Tim, how are you, sir? I'm fine, sir. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I am uh, a fan of yours. You are an author, big-time author, I would like to say. Well, I just dabbled in it. Well, let me ask you a question. So the book is called Chronicles in History. Mm-hmm. You know, people may not know who you are. Why don't you just give us a brief description of who you are, where you're from? Well, basically, I come here from upstate New York, a little town called Cairo, uh, which is just outside of Catskill. I'm a truck driver by trade, um, inventor. I've invented a couple things over the years. I'm currently seeking a patent on one item. Uh, I restore antique classic European motorcycles, and I'm also a local town councilman. Oh, so you are a jack of all trades, did you say? Master of none, though. Jack of all trades, master of none. I understand. Right. I get that completely. So you said that you're an inventor and you have, you're trying to patent. Is that something that you wouldn't be able to say because you're trying to patent it? Or is that something that you'd uh, be able to tell us? Well, I can't really go into detail on it, but it would revolutionize the trucking industry. Talk to me about the trucking industry right now. You know, I was listening to a podcast this morning. Actually, I was listening to, it was Tucker Carlson last night that I was listening to. And he had a truck driver that came on. Because right now you have the Democrats, they're saying the reason why there's such a supply chain shortage is because of the truck drivers. And reason why there's a shortage of truck drivers is because of racism. Do you see any racism with truck driving? None, none whatsoever. Um, I'm, I run local upstate New York, um, you know, less than truckload. I'm home every night. But the truck drivers that I see going into some of the terminals, a lot of them are of foreign descent. Um, I mean, we see anything from Indian descent to um, Hispanic descent to, you know, you name it. It's all all shapes, sizes, and colors. And I don't believe there's a shortage of truck drivers. There is, in fact, a shortage of good truck drivers. All right. So what is your opinion then? As a truck driver, you see this supply chain issue happening, right? And around the country what's the vibe of the truck drivers is it the truck drivers to blame what's going no, on right now no the what's to blame is the state regulation um we've all had to switch to what they call e-logs where it's basically a, a not necessarily a laptop but you know just a, a basic computer in your truck where everything is logged electronically now um dot especially in new york state is nuts i mean just in my short run daily i'm passing four possible dot checkpoints dot being the department of transportation department of transportation um you know uh heavy vehicle safety and i mean they'll pull you in they could hold you from anywhere from a half an hour to an hour and a half why is it so different are you saying that it's different today in 2021 that it's been in the past, the DOT, and how much they're pulling people over? Absolutely. Why is that? Revenue. It all boils down to revenue. It, it, they all work in conjunction with the New York State Police, and it's just nothing but revenue. And I mean, they'll write you for the simplest thing. License plate light out, you'll get a ticket. So you're saying a lot of that hap- what, what what's... What's the cause of all these delays is a lot of times you're getting pulled over by the DOT and you're sitting there for one, two, three, maybe four hours at a time. And that now messes up the whole entire schedule. It's like a domino effect. And that's the thing. If if you have a major infraction on your truck, um, bald tire, leaky wheel seal, something like that, 
they will shut you down. They'll actually put a red tag on your windshield where you cannot move the truck. It either A, has to be towed, or B, be fixed on the spot. Be fixed, yeah. So then you're looking at a road service call, which, like you say, could tie you up a good four, five, six hours. You'd never know. Um, what did you? So do you do you work for a, a corporation, a company? I work for a company out of South New Jersey. Yes. What happens out of South New Jersey? Out of South New Jersey. So what do you do? You take the truck home? No, I I have a location in New York where I park my truck, and then they bring up a live load every morning to me. Okay. And what type of trucking are you doing? What type of uh, goods do you have uh, in the back of your truck? It, it's dry box. It's you know a lot of high end stuff because they carry the heavy insurance on it. It's all slam locked and GPS and everything. Um, could range from computers to cardboard boxes to you, you name it. If it's got a high dollar amount, you know. It's in the it, back of your truck. It could be in the back of my truck. So tell me about the inventions that you're doing here, right? That's that's very, to me, it's very interesting. Somebody that actually, you know, you have an idea and you want to make something out of nothing, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. Because when you're inventing something, it's not in existence. Give me some of the things that you've already invented that you thought may have exploded onto the scene, but maybe, you know, it just takes a little tinkering or it just hasn't done it. Well, I, I've got one in particular that I invented years ago. Uh, like I said, it pertains to the freight industry, and it would revolutionize it only because of the fact that so much money is lost every year in damage, okay, transporting, whether it be over the road or on cargo ship or something, you know, just a constant jostling around, loads fall over you know this is something to help stabilize the load which is it would actually be a design improvement patent that i'm looking for because it's already a design device but this is a new twist to it so this is something that you really would like oh well, <laughs> this will change your whole life basically well I'm and not, everybody in the trucking business i'm not looking to change my life i'm looking to change everybody else's you yeah know, I, I anything like this that i do just like writing this book it's not for financial gain. It's for the aid of other people. Why do you think that? What type of person, you know, do you feel that you are that it's not looking for a monetary gain? And we're talking about, let's just say the book here, Chronicles in History, mm -hmm. right? Why would you write a book like this and not say, you know what, I would like to also make a buck on it, uh, which, you know, which would be okay, right? People do things for a living. People, there's authors that make their living by writing books. Why is this so different with you? Well, think about it. It's like becoming a politician. Some of them put their ego first. They want to do it for the money. They get elected the day after they get elected. They're looking toward their next election. It's all a matter of how you approach it. And from my standpoint, especially becoming a politician two years ago, it's I want to do something for my community. I want to reach out and help whatever way I can. And at the end of the day, if I made a difference, I'm all well and good with that. And what political party are you affiliated with? Just Re to put out Republican. What made you want to become a Republican? Was there a day, you know, when you were younger that you said, hey, listen, I'm obviously going to get into politics here. This politics interests me. Why were you leaning towards the right as opposed to the left? I was raised as a right-leaning American. My, both my folks were Republican. Um, I remember days growing up, five, six, seven, eight, nine years old, having our local politicians driving up and down the street in, in old station wagons with a bullhorn on top, you know, just saying, vote for me, vote for me. And, and I mean, it's, you know, that's something that sticks with you. But just seeing that the way things have happened over the years, 
And being a student of history, I, I'm a particularly a student of World War II. I mean, I, I love just seeing the way things came about, the way things were handled, seeing um, the intestinal fortitude that our young men at 18 years old had to get on those boats and storm that beach, knowing that they most of them were going to end up dead. I mean, it, you don't see that anymore. Does it bother you that you're such a, you know, a historian that you love, you know, especially with the military is done. Obviously, you, you seem when you're, you know, anyone who is completely engulfed in, say, World War II, somebody that loves something like that, obviously has a high respect for the military. Absolutely. I had three, uh, I have three brothers that served in the United States Air Force. And I have the utmost respect for every one of them for what they did. How does it bother, you know, how did it make you feel when you see someone like, say, Colin Kaepernick when he was kneeling? Was that something that you thought, hey, listen, he's okay to do that? He's, he has his right? Or is that something that you thought was disrespectful? I found it very disrespectful. But at the same time, he has his First Amendment right. And if I'm going to go around proclaiming to be a constitutionalist, it has to be for everyone. It wasn't, as far as I'm concerned, when you look at your First Amendment, the Constitution wasn't designed to protect the speech that doesn't offend people. It was designed to protect the speech that does. So you're saying that him kneeling in a football game, that was something that didn't reflect on the military. You thought that it's okay because, in his view, he was making a stance for, say, police brutality. So it was okay. I don't believe it was okay as far as my acceptance of it, but he has the right to do it. I mean, it's a fine line to, to walk, but you know, where I disagree with it, he has a right to do it. Talk to me about then, let's move forward to say the George Floyd protests. Is it one thing to be able to protest and march the streets? Is it still the same type of thing if they wanna go and burn down these buildings and loot these stores? No, it's not. No, it's not. That's, I mean, that, that in itself was an insurrection. That you believe was an insurrection? That I do. Okay, and why do you think that the Democrats, you know, especially the governors of these states and all these state officials, why do you think they were allowing them to do that? I believe because they're either A, they were radicalized, or B, they were threatened by the federal government. You think the federal government? I believe so. Well, you know, at the time, Donald Trump was president. So, you know, I, I mean, you're... But, Donald Trump didn't have control over the alphabet agencies. You got to remember that. You're talking about the deep state. The deep state, the FBI, the CIA, the NSA. I mean, what what I've seen over the past few years, especially since the Obama administration, is the fact that everybody in Washington is, with the exception of a few, and we have our patriots in there, but with the exception of them, they're they've actually developed one party. It's the elite party. That's all there's to it. It doesn't matter if you got an R after your name or a D after your name. You're as dirty as the day is long, and one's not going to turn on the other because the other one's got just as much on the first one. You're talking about the elite class in regards to, say, politicians, say, a Mitch McConnell, a Nancy Pelosi. Exactly. Those types of individuals. Exactly. How does then how does the America survive if they have such a an elite class? Like, how do we get out of something like that? Well, I've I heard years ago, and I believe it to this day. I mean, as we're headed on a path to communism right now, you can vote your way into it, but you got to shoot your way out. So what does that mean? Elaborate on that a little bit. Well, you look at any of the any of the regimes over in the Middle East, Gaddafi for one, where he ruled with an iron fist, and once the people got a taste of freedom, how do you end up? 
you, you got to think about it. Mussolini in Italy, how'd he end up? No, I understand that, but those th- those regimes are a little bit different. Here we have freedom, and the freedom is being taken away. So now we're fighting to gain, regain the free- freedom. Italy started out a free nation before the fascists took over. Germany started out a free nation before the fascists took over. Did you see what was t- uh, taking place just recently? I don't know if you you saw this with uh, Merrick Garland. <laughs> the United States Attorney General is going to be, you know, hopefully brought back on the Hill because... He was talking about how they, how the FBI, the Department of Justice, didn't really have anyone looking and sneaking around about the parents and CRT. Mm-hmm. And now there was a whistleblower that just came out and said that that was actually, in fact, happening. Yep. Do you know about that? I just read about it this morning, in fact. Do you think that, that's, that they were using, say, the Patriot Act to actually spy on individuals? Absolutely. They, you think that's still going on, even uh, though what we, we, we knew would happen... In the past. It's no different than what they did to Trump. They used the Patriot Act on him. That's how they, you know, tried to tried to uh, you know, get some of the people that were affiliated with him. And I believe that's why they're going after Steve Bannon. But if you think about it, anybody that they're going after now, right down to Kyle Rittenhouse, is the fact that they are a threat to the Democrat mantra. Well, how would be how would say Kyle Rittenhouse? <coughs> give me Excuse an example me. of that. Why would you think Kyle Rittenhouse, a seventeen-year-old kid, why would he be a threat to their mantra, the Democratic way? Because if you think about it, it's all about the gun. It's not about the guy holding the gun. I mean, if you look at the Rittenhouse case, it's all about the gun. You, in in context, what you mean is. The Democrats want to take away our Second Amendment rights. Absolutely. The fact that this 17-year-old had the gun, that is the way, that's one of the ways that they would be able to be a threat to the Democratic Party. They take away the guns, then you take away the ability to... Defend yourself. Defend yourself. Right. And then you end up with the same scenario as Venezuela. And how do you think that we got this? How, how, how did we get down to this path? Apathy. Elaborate on that. America's been asleep. There's no question about it. Uh, between the fact that everybody just figured, you know, I, I mean, I remember growing up in the 70s. We, we had we had these little clubs in school called Liz, Listen, Mr. President. You could actually write letters to your president. I remember writing one to Gerald Ford, you know, when he was in office. And you could, as a student, you could, you know, ask questions or, or uh, offer grievances and things like that. And it actually went somewhere. You'd get an acknowledgement that at least it was read, you know, but now... They could care less. They could care less. That's the that's the whole problem. Between that and the indoctrination that we're getting out of our schools now, I mean they've come they've turned into nothing but communist training camps. Uh, sorry to say, but that's because they are state run. The government has an agenda. They force it down on the schools. They pad the pockets of the unions, and this is what you get. Yeah, but you're talking about an agenda. Why would the United States, in your opinion, then, why would they have an agenda that would be a communist type of agenda when, you know, for hundreds of years, this country has been the best country in the world? Why would, in your opinion, why do you think these elites would want to ruin that? What's their What's their gain out of this? Control, power, money. We were warned about it. Joe, back in the 1950s with Senator McCarthy. He told Congress, he told the Senate flat out that the government, the uh, institutions of higher learning, 
and our public schools were being infiltrated by communists. Isn't it crazy that you see, I don't know if you read the book 1984? No, I've, by I've, George read, I've read excerpts of it. It's a great book. You should, you know, especially you being the author and the historian you are. And how your book, you know, basically is a look into the future. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But, you know, some of the things that you see there, like, you know, um, how you weren't able to talk a certain way, how you're not, you know, it was truth speak and how things developed in the book. You start seeing that happening now and mm -hmm. how, you know, government is basically coming down on American citizens' rights. Absolutely. And, you know, I know what you're talking about, the elite, but what is it that the Republicans can do? Are you happy with, are you satisfied with the Republicans that we have? Do you Ab think that absolutely we... Absolutely not. Just just a handful. I mean, we have our M.T. Greens, we have our Jim Jordans. I mean, we need a lot more people like that. People that have America at heart, not people that see it as a piggy bank, you know, like our, you know, the ones that are in power. Why did these elites hate Donald Trump so much? Because he was a threat. A threat in what way? What is? I, I want to hear what you have to say. He knows where all the Democrat bodies are buried. He was a Democrat up until 1993. He rubbed shoulders with Bill and Hillary Clinton and all the all the rich liberal elites, and they all came to him every election for money, and he donated to them. And I, he knew too much. He knew too much. He knew he knew how to fix America. See, my my opinion on that. I, I, I agree. He knew how to fix America and what America needed to do to be fixed. But I also, in my opinion, is you have these elite class, and I agree with what you're saying. You have this elite class. What they're trying to do is take off the middle class. The middle class is you cut off the legs of the middle class. Then you just have two classes, which is rich and poor, rich and poor. And what does the poor always need? They need something government from the government. Assistance. Yes, right. 100%. And that's what right. my opinion is. But the reason why I believe that they hated Donald Trump so much is because of their ties with China as well. Mm -hmm. And the money that they were getting from China, the the amount of, you know, funds, the amount, you know, whether it was investing in, say, Alibaba in and in, in certain stocks, how you have, say, Universal Studios, CNN, AT&T, all of these conglomerates, mm -hmm. they're so intertwined now with China money that Donald Trump coming in here, putting in the tariffs, like you said, knowing certain things. They, they they can't they didn't want anything to deal with it. Right. What I believe nobody wants anyone touching your money. Mm -hmm. Right. So here comes Donald Trump, and what is he doing? He's messing with all of their money. It's like taking their welfare check away. Yes. One hundred percent. That's basically it. But I mean, you got to remember this. This predates Trump. I mean, Hillary Clinton was over there rubbing shoulders with the Chinese, giving them land guarantees. Bill Clinton walked them right through the Pentagon. Well, if it wasn't yeah, Bill Clinton, I believe is the one who is the instrument of it all, allowing them into the World Trade Organization right. back in, I believe, what was it, 1999 or 2000. But who created the Clintons? George W. Bush. Yeah. I, I mean, his father, if you if you really research into it, the Bush family, if you go back into the um, early 1900s, 30s, 40s, the Bushes were associated with the Nazi party. In fact, Prescott Bush, I believe, uh, if my information is correct, was a double agent for the Nazis. I didn't know that. What do you, so, and Prescott <coughs> Bush is affiliate. You know, how is he? Is he the grandfather? Is the grandfather. He, you know, it's funny too. You know, and I wouldn't be surprised because you see the flip, right? You know, George Bush the second, mm -hmm. the second president, the son. He was hated by Democrats. Everything yep. that was going on with 9-11, everything that with desert, you know, it, what, it, whatever it was. It was kabuki theater. What do you mean by that? Meaning that they're all birds of a feather. 
because Bush did his eight years and the media demonized him and, you know, the Democrats demonized him. But then he gets out of office. He's sitting at a sports game with Barack and Michelle Obama. I know. And she adores him. Adores him. Which is which is odd, in my opinion, it's, and the fact that he hates it, Donald it, Trump. It, but it, it's not odd if you really look at the bigger picture of it. And basically, these are all New World Order people, One World Government people. Globalists. Globalists. They all have the same thing in common. And it goes all the way back to Bush Sr. He's He was the first one to announce a New World Order or a One World Government. And, ha- and, and what do you mean by that? Give me an example um, what what did he do to make you think that that was that's the case, or what was he doing that it is makes it is the case? I, I mean, he actually came out and said it. He he actually came out and said that you know we need to become part of the new world order, and that was the I, I mean it goes all the way up to Agenda Twenty One, which is now Agenda Twenty Thirty, which is all being formulated by the United Nations. He had something to do with all that. And, and if you go back even further on Senior, I mean, he had something to do with JFK. He was the CIA director. What do you when, think happened with JFK? I think he was assassinated either by the mob or a mob operative that was hired by the CIA. I agree with you. Definitely with the mob. The mob is the one who had their, you know, the, the so, you know, so to speak, gun shooter, mm-hmm. the one who pulled the trigger. But I believe they were in on that 100%. There, no doubt in my mind. No doubt in my mind. It's funny too, how, right? Isn't it crazy how that takes place and to this day we still have no idea what really took place mm-hmm. and nobody really wants to know and why would they still have these documents sealed? Why not just unleash every single document so we can get to the bottom of it? The bottom line is they don't want the American people to know anything. Just like the UFO deal. They don't want the American people to know the truth. My opinion, you know, and and I know we're going to be jumping here and with the UFO thing. What you see, and this is my opinion, and I said this on my show quite, and I would like to know what your opinion is of this. I feel like you're going to be leaning towards it. When we see these, our naval units, right, and they see these TikToks flying all over, mm-hmm. we only see that within the United States. You don't see that. You don't see China military saying that they've seen these flying objects. You don't see the Russian aircrafts saying out in the sea saying, oh, we saw these things. It's only the United States. Now, there's a man by the name of Bob Lazar who worked at Area 51. And he was, and this was back in, I believe, the 80s, said that, you know, he worked there. He saw these types of unidentified objects over at Area 51. He was working on some of the equipment that was there. He saw the ships. And in my opinion, and he said this, he said this on the Joe Rogan podcast one time. He said, you know, they're very careful on where they fly it because they don't want it to get in the hands of anyone. So I take that as the reason why we see these flying objects. I believe that they're being flown by the United States government Mm -hmm. because they do have access to it. How they have access to it, I I can't tell you. Right. Whether or not it was a UFO that crashed, whether it is that they developed it, I, I have no idea because it's technology that we've never seen before because it looks like gravity is taking over these type of ships right. for them to go back and forth in you know seconds mm-hmm. and stopping on a dime. 
I believe the reason why they're doing it with the U.S. military is because if they do crash, if something does happen, it's still in our hands and they could cover it up right. as opposed to if they're doing it over North Korea and something happens, now it's in the hands of North Korea. Right. What's your opinion on that? It's it's very possible. Well, uh, well what, what were you saying then in regards to when you said about the UFO, they don't want them to know? What do you think? What, what's your uh, observation I, of because that? Because I really think it's a clandestine mil- military operation. I really do. You're talking about what we're seeing. What we're seeing. I, I believe it's some form of black ops that, that they're trying to, that they've got the technology. I mean, look look at the stealth bomber and the stealth fighter. I mean, that was under wraps for how long, you know, before it finally came mainstream. And there was talk about it. You know, here, here we have planes that, you know, or, or have aircraft that nobody can pick up on radar. Oh, it must be a UFO. I mean, this was a story we were spoon-fed for years. And then next thing you know, you know, we, we've got all this stealth technology out there. And I think what it was is they were trying to stay ahead of the rest of the world. But the fact remains that a lot of this stuff going on, the American people are, aren't going to know about until it's already out there. Why do you think that the Americans right now, the people, the powers, the people in military, why, why are we dummying down our military? What's your observation on that? I think ultimately we've already been sold out to China. I really do. Already sold out. Already sold out. So you think that there's a a globalist deal that's already been done, or do you think that it's a deal that's done just uh, exclusively with China? I I think the deal's done. With what, though? I'm talking about a global uh, deal? I'm talking China. Why? And what makes you think that? Because Number one, because of Biden's ties with him. Number two, because of the Clinton's ties with him. And their military is so strong now. I mean, I just read the other day that they're actually using silhouettes of our aircraft carriers for target practice. Really? In the desert. So, I, I mean, I everything is trending toward China. I mean, this, this everything is, is. This everything. Is, this is why they wanted them, you know, to become part of the world market, you know, the world's marketplace. Um, this is why I think they're gaining, their their economy is gaining over ours. Um, this is why they didn't want Trump to put the tariffs on them. But, but again, it doesn't make, see, for me looking at it, and I'm still, you know, I, I look into this constantly. It still makes no sense to me why an elite class, even if it's an elite class here in America, why would they want another country bettering them? Because at the end of the day, we know what China is. We know what uh, uh, President Xi would do. Mm-hmm. He wants total domination. Exactly. So why would they risk hit, you know, China coming in here and dominating the United States? To me, I, I don't understand. Is it just greed? I believe it boils down to greed. And they, they're just they, so stupid, these politicians, they, that they, they don't even realize. They can't see past their noses. They're looking to have their nice, cushy lifestyle. And, I, I mean, it's evident, Joe, that, you know, the American people are secondary now to uh, what they're doing with China, what they're doing with, with the uh, invasion at the border. The American people are secondary to all of that. Our, our interests aren't even protected anymore. In fact, they're trying to remove you know, any protection of the American people. This is why we're seeing cases like Rittenhouse and and the invasion at the border where they're keeping it wide open when we're in the middle of a pandemic. This is why we're seeing all this, because they could care less about us. 
what they're looking to do right now with this invasion is they're looking to replace our population. What do you mean invasion? You're talking about at the border? At the border. So explain that. What do you mean? So you're saying that they're allowing these poor migrants to come in here because that's exactly what they want to begin with. So not only do the, you know, cut off the middle class in regards to say inflation and the, the supply chain mm-hmm. and things of that, but you could also put the average down significantly by allowing hundreds of thousands of poor people to come into the country just, you know, on a whim. They come in the country, you hand them enough money to survive, you get more social security, you get more welfare, you get more Medicaid, Medicaid, you get more all that. You've got guaranteed Democrat voters for the next hundred years. Plain and simple. But again, it's to me, I understand what you're saying, but going back to this whole China thing, how does that then help them with China? How does that help them? Because if China comes and takes over everything, I don't understand then where, where what they don't have a leg to stand on. Their lives change significantly. It bothers me so much that they can't see that. And what China actually wants to do. I mean, China's talking about the military, and and I I don't know if you know this. They're talking about making, you know, human beings into, say, robots, changing Mm -hmm. their DNA so they're like super soldiers. Meanwhile, we're sitting here, which which blows my fucking mind, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, well, we're... That we're sitting here, we're worried about having transgenders come in there, and we have to have enough females, and we have to make sure that they're able to have their ponytails, and... Well, we're, we're worried about our soldiers being able to wear their camouflage dresses. That's pretty much it. Yeah, but and how? But, but but what it all in my in in my view, what it all boils down to at this point is number one. If you look at the record of the Chinese since they've been a communist government, they could care less about their people. You're talking about China. China. Oh yeah, look what they're they, doing with the Uyghurs. They could care less if they if they kill off their people, whether through famine or a bullet to the head. They could care less. All China wants from the United States of America is our land. They want our oil reserves. They need our oil reserves. And you see what they're doing too. And I can't believe that we don't have some type of law that's in, you know, implemented that these foreign entities, because China's coming in and buying farmland, they're, they're acres, buying, acres, acres, absolutely, acres, acres. And it's unbelievable that they're doing it. I, I, you know, I was reading some article that they bought so much acreage down in Texas, and it's right near one of our spies, uh, whatever, our um, military units, mm-hmm. that they have easy access now to be able to spy on what the United States military is doing. Why would we ever allow something like that to ever happen? It's beyond me. Well, ask Bill Clinton. He walked him right through the Pentagon. I know, it's amazing. Do you think right now if the United States and China had a war, against each other do you think the united states would be able to win or do you think you know are we still this dominant superpower that we would definitely win or do you think that the you know the scales have adjusted i think the scales have leveled out to be honest with you i i don't believe we are a superpower in the world anymore but this is what their goal has been is to put everybody on an equal playing field but the way they're doing it it's not by bringing other countries up to U.S. standards, it's bringing the U.S. standards down to the level of other countries. Yes. And, I mean, I, I think at this point, I mean, if it was a nuclear war, of course, it's mass mutual destruction. Nobody's going to survive it. But I, I am a firm believer that, you know, I don't know how far in the future, but I really think there's a possibility that China is going to launch an EMP because they've already worked on the technology with their intercontinental ballistic missiles that 
they're going to set off a, a nuclear detonation in the atmosphere and knock out all of our electronics. Well, an EMP. You're talking about the grid over, especially in uh, Texas. And, electromagnetic pulse. Yes. What uh, What's your thoughts on whether China is going to invade Taiwan? Do you I, think that's uh, inevitable? Do you think that that's just rhetoric? What What is your that, opinion that's, on that? That's inevitable. Okay. So here now, you know, and, and this is my view on it, right? You have Joe Biden, which they, this is a dream come true for, say, Russia, Iran, mm-hmm. China, oh, North Korea, any, it's, any it's of these. In, it's emboldened all of them. Yes. This is the perfect opportunity if you're going to do this. Mm-hmm. It's going to be with Joe Biden. What does Joe Biden and his administration do, in your opinion, if that actually takes place, if China invades Taiwan? They're going to sit by. You're going to, you, you really think that? Now, Biden, we have, Biden, you have to remember something, Tim. We have, we have agreements with. Biden is bought and paid for. It's amazing if that is the truth. Biden is bought and paid for. Look what I don't think that he can do that. I don't think Joe, any, he Joe, can't he save had, face. He, he can't do he it. He had no problem leaving American citizens in Afghanistan. I what, know. What makes you think he's going to go to the aid of Taiwan when he won't even protect American people? Well, I, I you listen, I agree with you with that and then you make a great point with that. But having this, first of all, that would be now a catastrophic move strategically militarily anything if they actually allowed that now it was one thing that we broke our promises in afghanistan we have treaties with taiwan we, we have we had treaties with croatia i know and what happened there taiwan is a little bit different though because now you have a real aggressor you have you know that straight that we you know that's there if you allow china to take taiwan and control that straight things change dramatically mm-hmm. militarily for the United States, and of course, and for China, for him to sit back and do nothing, I, I don't know. I, I can't see that actually taking place, but I think China is willing to risk it. Because again, I, I so. here's the thing too is, you know, you, you may be right in, in regards to this. Well, once you start engaging with a country like China, and let's just say they invade Taiwan, and the United States comes in and starts killing Chinese military. Well, what's the next step? We're going to invade their homeland? Are they going to come in and have a million man march on the ocean, you know, on the shores of California? And then what happens after that? Because it never ends until Joe, it's what? A Joe, nuclear war. Joe, the sad part is California would welcome them. That's the sad part. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know a, they wouldn't, but I know what you're saying. But what I'm trying to say is they probably could get away with it now that I'm thinking about it because at the end of the day, it'll be a nuclear war. Nobody's going to want that because then that doesn't achieve anything. So this is – Taiwan is primed for the taking. Right. Primed for it. But but the thing of it is you can't rule out the fact that um, dealing with the United Nations because if if you really think the United Nations is going to stand up if – China invades Taiwan? No, look what they, look what the, not forget about even the United Nations. Just look at what the World Health Organization, like everyone just bows down to China, right? right? It's all, it's, it's the new bully on the block mm-hmm. that can do anything because everyone is making money off of China. Right. Everyone. They have billions of people. The population is just enormous, right? They have all of this, this market, you know, the NBA, told their place, shut up. Mm-hmm. Because China said, you know, we're not going to play any of these games. And just like that, you had the best player on the planet, LeBron James, said, stop it. 
we can't do that. People need to start thinking about what financial, you know, complications this is ensuing. Right. You know, the movie market, Hollywood, Hollywood is highly invested mm-hmm. in, you know, the money that comes out of China. Absolutely. You know, so it, it really is ridiculous. But what, so continue what you're saying, you're saying about the United Nations and China. The, the United Nations to me is, I, I mean, they're, they're pushing a the globalist agenda, agenda, which is understandable. But, I mean, it's to the point where, from their standpoint, the United States being as prosperous as we've been through since our founding, basically, we are a threat to their agenda. I mean, you, you had Agenda 21, now it's Agenda 2030, and basically what it is is literally robbing our wealth and giving it to all these other countries. This is, I mean, this is your climate change hoax, this is your Green New Deal garbage. I mean, it's all, it, it's basically taking the money from America and giving it to all these poor, less fortunate countries, you know, for whatever reason they choose to come up with that day. And, I mean, the U.N. isn't going to do a thing to protect America. They haven't done it in years. Why are they going to start now? You know, and, and I mean, to accept uh, China in, you know, the way they have with, with Chinese record of, of uh, you know, human suffering, the, the way they're respected on the world stage after that, I mean, they're... China cares less about its people than they would probably the average pet, you know, when it comes to that. You know, it, it, it's it's true what you're saying here, and you and you take it here to the United States, and you have, say, the Biden administration talking about, you know, what's right from what's wrong, and then not ever calling out, say, China, what they're doing with their own people, with the Uyghurs and the genocide that's being committed over there. They won't call them out. They won't say anything. They're just, you know, it really comes down to money. Money is making everyone look the other way. It, it does. While China is doing whatever they want. You're exactly right. What do you see, say, in 10 years? 10 years from now, how do you see, what do you envision the United States and, and how is, you know, what's happening? If we can right the ship which is going to have to be done very soon. I'm hoping we make it to the 2022 midterms, but if we can right the ship and get America back on track, we are going to once again be the greatest country in the world. What do you mean if we can get to 2000? It's only a year away. Do you foresee something happening from now? I I do. What do you foresee? I think it's going to come down to it where, I mean, Biden's already ruling like a dictator. Well, actually, his puppet master is, but... I think it's going to come down to where they just come down so hard on the American people that we're going to have no choice but to revolt. Where we're I, I, we're going to have to party like it was 1776. You're saying so you think people are going to have to take it to the streets is what you're saying. Absolutely. You know it's really difficult for that to ever really happen with the United States military. They'll have they have control over the military. So something like that, Joe, I, I don't see how that would a- Joe, actually happen. What military? What military? The woke? Well, they have them. They have the equipment. They have the they, type of things that they can do that. You're talking about a mass militia that is going to have to be formed and there's going to have to be a mass revolt. What I believe what would happen before, say, that takes place, mm-hmm. you would have states that are going to start seceding from the union. That would have to take that, place first. That I do believe will happen. Right? 
That's what would have to take place first. You would have to have these states seceding from the Union. Then that would start forming different types of, say, military action. Mm -hmm. You have, you know, a state like, say, Florida, that's no longer a part of the United States. You would have then, say, Mississippi or Louisiana or Texas. Mm -hmm. And they then start doing, you know, having their own military. That would be something different. I don't think if you still have all of these states in a union that you'll have the wherewithal to have uh, an army just being formed by certain individuals. Oh, there's no, there's no doubt in my mind that, that if anything starts, it's going to be through state militias. It's going to be through state militias. It's not going to be a, a national force or a counter anti-national force. It's going to be through state militias. It's going to be each individual standing up, having the same um, the same idea of what needs to be done to to right the wrongs that have been done to this country. I want to get into your book in a second here, but one last question I want to ask you before we start diving into this. You were talking about the elections. You're talking about 2022. Are you a Trump supporter? Are Absolutely. you 100%? 100%. Do you want, do you think... Even though you're a, a huge Trump supporter, and I talk to a lot of my friends that are, you know, Trump fanatics, so to speak. But I would say fifty it's fifty fifty on mm-hmm. whether or not they think that Trump should actually run and how good that would be to the country because whatever we saw in two thousand and sixteen is just say the appetizer of what we would see in two thousand and twenty four. Oh, I, I agree. I agree. You do? Yep. Can you explain what you know what when, when I'm talking about there could be major complications, what do you foresee if Donald Trump actually won in 2024? I think we're going to go through more of a witch hunt style in cahoots with the media like, like they did to him in 16, but I, I think it's going to be tenfold. You're talking about the NSA. Yep. You're talking about, you know, CIA, just like what you were saying, the well, alphabet I, I, agencies. Absolutely. They're all in bed with this I, left-wing I, media. Well, let me, let me share something with you. In 2016, after Trump got elected, okay, before he was inaugurated, I was on Twitter, and I sent him a message. And sent to a message? Donald Trump. Okay, how did you do that? When he still had his Twitter handle. Oh, okay. Okay, before they decided to, you know, that nothing he said had anything to do with anything Jack Dorsey likes. Um, but I sent him a message. I said, Mr. President, I said, now that you've been elected, and once you're inaugurated, the best thing that you can do is clean out the alphabet agencies at least six tiers down. A hundred percent. And if he did that back then, we wouldn't have half the problems. We now, had. James Comey, gone. Andrew McCabe, Absolutely. gone. Absolutely. Yes, a hundred percent. I agree with you with that 100%. And that needs to be done. And when you talk about, you, and, and you're right, it's got to be deep. It's got to be. We're talking almost entry level. Yep, absolutely. Yes, 100%. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about the Chronicles in History. When was this book written? That was written back in, uh, well, actually it took me about three years to write it. It was written between 2012 and 2015. Three years? Three years. So tell me about, you know, I'm interested. A lot of people, I'm into delving into new projects. One of the things that I've always been talking to myself about is, you know, write a book. Write something, right? You know, because I have all these ideas that I want to put down, and, mm-hmm. and it's, they're all just excuses on why I don't actually sit down and do it. But even hearing that it's three years, what a process that is. How long did it take you to actually sit there and say, okay, 
Today is the day I sit in front of whatever didn't, it is. Didn't happen that way. How did it happen? The way it happened, well, first off, you take a guy and you throw him in a truck for eight hours a day. <laughs> He's got nothing but time to think. Um, it all started back in, in 12 when you know, we were going into the second term of Obama. And ever since he came into office, there was just a knot in the pit of my stomach that said, this isn't right. And, and then just to watch his regime progress and the more freedoms he was taking away and the more um, stupid laws and stuff that he was in, or mandates or whatever that he was imposing on people and just the way he carried himself, it's like, this guy isn't right for this country. So I, I started doing some digging and, you know, through my research, um, I, I mean, I was never a writer. I'll, I'll be honest with you. If you look in the, in the early pages of the book, it's dedicated to my ninth grade English teacher. You know I why? I saw that. She's the one who got me out of ninth grade English after three years. <laughs> okay? Not because Say I no more. Not because I was dumb, but because I was lazy. But she got me over that hump. But I never thought in a million years I'd write a book. But I did start blogging. I was on a site called Western Center for Journalism, which is now Western Journalism. It's it's affiliated with the Republican Party, Floyd Brown. You know, he's up there with all the guys out west, you know, the Republicans from out west. And they had a blog where you could go in as an average person and just write your opinions. So I started doing that. And it got to the point where I'd get in a truck in the morning, an idea would pop into my head, and it's like, well, I think I'd like to write about that. You know, so I'd roll it around my head all day. I'd go home, do a little bit of research, and nowhere to lie, Joe, within 10 minutes, I could have in a, that entire chapter written. But it never came to me as being in book form. It was after I had formulated however many chapters are in that book, okay, over the course of the three years, they were actually blog posts. Because I see that you do each chapter as a date. Right. Right? Which that, I thought was, that, I, I actually, you know, I, I really haven't seen something like that. But, so I thought, I that, think it works. But that, but that's when they were written. Yes. Okay. But, Makes sense now. But after, you know, turning some of my other conservative friends on to um, that blog. So they were going to Western journalism, reading the blog. And one of them was, an, well, is an author. She she lives in Texas. Uh, in fact, I give her credit in the book. And she said to me, she said, Tim, she said, why don't you turn this into a book? I said, how am I going to turn it into a book? Oh, well, you've got enough, you know, enough stuff to do it. She said, you know, think about it. You know, I'd, I'd like to see something like that. So I got, you know, my mom was a desktop publisher. She worked for attorneys for years and did all their, you know, mailers and everything. So she had a little bit of insight into it. And she says, you know, she says you could do that. She says, but do it as a chronicle. Do it, you know, everything's dated. Just put it in by date. And the more I thought about it, I talked to a guy that, that uh, had an advertising degree, you know, and he said, yeah, he said, it, it sounds like a great idea. It's like, okay, so the first book, the first copy of that book was actually self-published through Amazon. You know, we did the cover design. It was all just generic, you know, copy and paste mm -hmm. stuff, you know, because my mom had done it for me. And we put it out there, and it had, you know, limited success. So um, I decided to go with a publisher. And the first publisher I went to, which was one of the bigger publishers, which was uh, Tate Publishing, they published books and music. 
Well, come to find out, the owner and co-owner, his son, were on the take. They're taking thousands of dollars from authors and music writers and right into a Canadian bank account. Oh, really? So, you know, I mean, some stuff is getting done, but just enough to let you know they were doing something. But, I mean, I lost $2,000 on that deal and advertising that they were supposed to do for me. Yeah. You know, so, and that was after the first copy of that was published under the new, you know, cover and everything. And I ended up finally, within three months of losing them, I was picked up by Redemption Press, who has it now, but they don't have any advertising. You know, so I mean, I it's the book is print on demand. I haven't been able to get it on, you know, permanently on any bookshelves. But I, I mean, it's just been a struggle all the way up through. Well, I got to tell you, I, I think it's written fabulously. The Chronicles in History, Windows into the Future. Why don't you tell us, what is the book about? Tell people that would be watching this, what is the book? They pick this book up, they buy it on Amazon.com. It's also available in the Kindle version as well. It's also, that's, how I, that's how I purchased it. And it's also available at Walmart.com. Also available at Walmart.com. Tell us about the book. Basically what it is is whatever was going on you know, at that time you know, that I took an interest in, I researched it, um, I found that a lot of my research where you could read an article on a particular subject and then go down through like the comment section and there was a lot more information that people were posting that, you know, it was just a wealth of knowledge. Sounds like Twitter. Pre pretty much. But yeah. it, it was just a wealth of knowledge, you know, where if you took the time to go look at these other websites and read the information, the information was there. You just had to mine it. You basically had to mine it, you know, and... And it was, you know, it's just basically a book of common sense. I mean, it's, you know, it explains um, my thoughts and feelings on something as well as, you know, what's... Explain that, though. What do you, when you mean your thoughts and feelings? So if somebody's going to, at the end of the day, after they're done reading this book, what are they going to get out of this? I think what they're going to get out of it, because of each chapter is only two or three pages long. Which it, I love, by it, the way. It's a, and I find that a lot of people who don't normally read said, oh, we love this format because we can read a chapter, set it down, pick it up the next day. It's something totally different. Especially in the days of 2021, people, they have very, very short attention spans. Absolutely. And that's why this helps. I think that that's that in today's age, it's perfect. Absolutely. I, I mean, even if you're, you know, taking it to the restroom with you, you know, you're through two chapters and, yep. you know, you pick it up again, it's something new. You know, but uh, I mean, I, I wanted to really focus on what is wrong with our government, whether it be federal or state, um, the hypocrisy, the um, going into our school systems. I, I've done a little bit on that, and especially our military, because more than anything, our military needs nothing but the utmost respect from every American person. Here we have military vets living on the street in cardboard boxes, but yet we're bringing in hundreds of thousands of illegal aliens and putting them up in motels. There is something wrong with this picture. Our military, we're willing to go out and fight and die for us, and we're giving all our money to freeloaders. I, I, it just shakes me to the core to see the way the American people are being treated, especially those in uniform, whether it be our military, our EMTs, our police. It, it just shakes me to the core. And, I mean, I, I discovered over the years that I had an opportunity to have a voice, 
because of Western journalism. They gave me a voice. I used that voice, and at the end of the day, the entire conglomeration, when you sit down and look at it, I, I mean, you've read the book, you know that from start to finish, when you're done with that book, you don't see a little fraction anymore. You see the big picture. One of the things, too, that I found interesting reading the book is a lot of things, even though you're saying that it was written in 2012 to 2015, a lot of the things that you say there, it's almost foreshadowing is what was happening in 2021. It's, it's really something else. Well, to- well, case in point on that, I reconnected with one of my older brothers recently after the death of my younger brother. Um, and I hadn't really been in touch with him in almost 20 years. And I gave him a copy of the book. He had come out and visited me over Labor Day weekend, and I gave him a copy of the book. And we're sitting there over coffee, and I said to him, I said, Jim, I said, just for giggles, I'm going to pick up this book. Now, mind you, I haven't picked the book up in quite some time. I said, I'm going to pick up this book, and I want to read the last chapter to you just to see where it falls in today's surroundings. Mm -hmm. It was like I wrote it yesterday. (laughs) It was like I wrote it yesterday. Yeah. And he just sat there in total awe. He says, I can't believe this. Yeah, that's why if you look in the in the early pages of the book, I mean, I can't describe what it was, but it was just a drive inside of me. I attribute it to the Holy Spirit, to be honest with you. But it was a drive inside of me to get this information out because people needed to know not only what was here, but what was coming. Do you believe, Do you think a lot of what is happening and the reasons why a lot of what's happening here in American society today is because people have lost faith in God? Absolutely. How do you think that, that transpired? That transpired because the churches gave up. Because if you go back to the roots of the American Revolution, where they had their small newspapers, most of the words of our founders came over pulpits. That's how the people were informed. That's how the people were encouraged. That's how the people were able to rise up and do what needed to be done because it came over to pulpits. But now our pulpits are tied because they're tied to that almighty 501C status or whatever the case may be, tax exemption. And the federal government is leaning down on them saying, you're either going to tow our line or we're yanking your tax exempt status. So what they're doing there is they're curbing that free speech that our founders had. So therefore, they're being lost in the message. The message of the gospel is nothing but pure freedom. In fact, the, if you look at the, uh, our founding documents, they were based on the book of Deuteronomy. And I encourage people, if, if they're into reading the Bible and wanting to know how it is attributed to our form of government, David Barton, an author, has released the Founder's Bible. And basically what it is, is it's based on the original Bible that our founding fathers used, and it's got all their notes in the margins. It's crazy. As to how to create this government. And who's the author? What's the author's name again? David Barton. David Barton. Yep, he's a a historian. I believe he's from Texas, and he's affiliated with Glenn Beck. That's how I found out about it. How do people, if they wanted to, how do they get in touch with you? How do they follow you, your Twitter handle? What is that? Uh, it's tbolt71. tbolt71. At, at twitter.com. At twitter.com. And also you said to uh, purchase this book, right? It's uh-huh. They could go to Walmart. 
Yep. Right? The store? They could also no. go to Walmart.com. No, it's not on any store shelves. That's the biggest problem I've been having. Okay, so Walmart.com. Walmart.com, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or RedemptionPress.com. And did you ever think of doing an Audible version of this book? No, I have not. A lot of people listen to Audible. I mean, I'm a big Audible fan. Mm -hmm. You know, a big a you know audio book fan. Right. Is I mean, did you ever think about doing that or have no. somebody do it? No. No, I, I haven't really given it a thought. I mean, the the book's been on the market six years with you know limited success. Um, well, let's try to see if we can get this up here. I love the book. Again, Chronicles in History: Windows into the Future. Are we going to have a second book coming soon, or what's your mm. thoughts on that? In all honesty, that one nearly cost me my marriage. Because, <laughs> I mean, it was, you know, I'm driving all day. I come home. No, can't talk to you right now. Got to sit down at the computer, get this down before I, you know, before I lose my train of thought. I know. And it was every day. And sometimes it was. For three years, you said. For three years. And it was, sometimes it was two to three articles a day. Yeah. You know, which became chapters. But, you know, if I could, I'd like to give you a little little bit on the book cover. Um. Like I said early on, uh, a good friend of mine is uh, went through Marist College for advertising, and when I was discussing the cover with him, he says, "Well, he says what you need to do, he said, is you need to try to touch on different things you have in the book with your cover. You want to be able to tell people what's in the book by what's on the cover." It's a good point. And I remembered that, and then, I mean, as I was designing the cover. It, it, everything just fell into place because I'm a constitutionalist and I wanted to give you know give some glory to our founders. That's why you have the musket against the desk. You have the old old style 1700s desk. You have the the early American flag, the tri-cornered hat, um, the cross. I mean, this is all the belief system of our founders. But then. Remembering what my advertising guy said, he said, you need to go into different windows as to where we are as a country. And that that's when I told my illustrator, who happened to be an old schoolmate of mine from high school that I connected with on Facebook. What's the question mark? What's coming? What's coming? It's good. What's coming? I love it. Listen, I really appreciate you coming on here. You're welcome anytime. Come on, talk about whatever it is that you think is you know, happening in today's society and today's environment. It was a pleasure meeting you. I love well, the book, by well, the way. Again, Chronicles in History, Windows into the Future by Timothy M. Powers. And if I may share one, just one more thing with yeah, you. Yeah, of course. In 2016, again, I, I had wrote that tweet to Donald Trump. I sent him a copy of that book as a Christmas present. Oh, that's great. Okay. Did you get any response? Here's how I got the response. I don't know. I'm sure you've seen his inauguration speech. Mm -hmm. There was a part of his speech where he said, it doesn't matter the color of your skin, all patriot blood is red or all American blood is red. You remember reading that chapter in that book? I don't recall exactly, to be honest it's with you. It's in there. And you think that that was attributed from him reading the book? That's amazing. Absolutely. You must have got the chills when you heard that. Absolutely. It'd be nice I, if you could confirm it with him, right? It would It would be great if I could confirm it, but I mean, I understand his position. Absolutely. So even if he wasn't able to confirm it, I, I know in my heart it was confirmed. Well, I love it. I love it. Again, Chronicles in History, Timothy M. Powers. Thank you, Joe. It was a pleasure, my man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anytime. All right. So listen, 
Uh, I guess that wraps it up here on the Joe Cozo Show. If you get a chance, go over to our website as well, thejoecozoshow.com. And uh, Timothy Powers, you're welcome anytime, brother. Thank you, Joe. All right, let's wrap it up. Thanks, Eric.